grace, good, and peace from God, our Creator, and our Lord Jesus my childhood 
in a Mountain Baptist church, and I could see a couple of portly deacons in three-piece suits throwing down their Bibles in front of the communion table. Sort of an ecclesiastical version of a bar fight. And then everybody else joined in, a free-for-all, a melee. Even a cursory look at the Bible and church history shows that the people of God have always been and probably always will be a contentious lot. Despite the church sign in Nashville, we have never been without controversy. We are given to fussing and fighting with each other about all sorts of things. <coughs> some of which matter and most of which don't. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus finds his disciples arguing about one of those things that do not matter. Not in the family of God, anyway. They have been fussing and fighting amongst themselves over which one of them is the greatest. <laughs> Particularly ironic and disappointing that they're arguing about this right after Jesus has told them that the Messiah will have to suffer and die for the world and that the followers of the Messiah will need to deny self and take up a cross as well. He just said that. He has presented them with a model of complete helplessness and weakness and they have responded by contending for positions <coughs> of power and influence. <laughs> they simply don't get it. In his commentary on Mark, the Gospel of Mark, Anglican Bishop and New Testament scholar Tom Wright points out that at the time of Jesus, not every one of the Jews believed that God would send the Messiah. It was a minority opinion that God was going to send the Messiah. And among those who did believe that a Messiah was coming, no one, they find no record of anyone who believed that the Messiah would have to suffer, much less die. Most believed that the one, the Messiah, would come in power and might and strength. They believed, those who believed in the Messiah coming, believed the Messiah would come as a military leader smiting the Romans and their evil pagan allies, conquering the world in the name of truth, justice, and the Yahweh way. <laughs> so when Jesus said in verse 31, the Son of Man is betrayed and be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again, it was so totally different than from anything they had ever thought about the Messiah. If they heard his words, they certainly did not hear his meaning. Now they had figured out that Jesus was the Messiah. Remember, thou art the Messiah, Peter said. But instead of thinking about service, they were trying to sort out their positions of importance in the new administration. Jesus overheard their argument. 
I noticed the way it, he reminds me, I started to say of a southern mama, let me just be truthful, reminds me of my mama. <laughs> there were five of us. There was all kinds of fussing and fighting going on. She knew what we were doing, but she would very innocently say, what were y'all talking about? <laughs> he already knew, didn't he? Well, at least they had enough understanding of what, how they, what they should be thinking or doing to be ashamed and be quiet. No one even tried to answer him. Could it be that looking into Jesus' face, it began to dawn on them just how wrong they were, just how far they had strayed from the path that Jesus had called upon them to follow? At this point, I imagine Jesus taking a deep breath, sighing, and with a somewhat forced smile saying, Come here, y'all. <laughs> Sit down. Let's talk. Let me see if I can find a better way <laughs> to explain this to you. He then proceeded to tell them that whoever wants to be first must be last and a servant of everyone. This great reversal is consistent with many other things Jesus has said over and over throughout the Gospels about how in the kingdom of God things are almost always the mirror opposite of how they are in the world. At this point, looking at their blank faces and realizing they still weren't getting it, Jesus did a monumentally important thing in the history of the church. There, on the spot, Jesus invented the children's sermon. <laughs> Complete with an actual child as the object in his object lesson. <clears throat> Jesus and the disciples had been followed by a big crowd. They had come in off the street into a room. He was just talking to them, took them aside. <coughs> this room had windows that had no glass, nothing in the doorways, had nothing in them. And people were gathered around looking in. So Jesus just got up and walked over to the window and leaned out and looked at a woman and said, may I borrow your child for a moment? <laughs> took the child back in and sat down and put the child on his lap and said, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who said Now when we hear that he took a child and put it on his lap, we go, oh, how cute. Isn't that sweet? Jesus loves the little children. <laughs> you know what they heard? They said, what? That's crazy. See, with these words, Jesus proclaimed the ultimate great reversal. In the ancient world, children were symbols of powerlessness. Outside of kind of normal parental affection, children were almost literally Nothing, even parental affection didn't count for much in some parts of the culture. Remember, they were a part of the Greco-Roman world. 
And then New Testament scholar Peter Marty says, in the Greco-Roman world, a father could punish, sell, pawn off, or even kill his own child. There are extemporaneous records of Roman soldiers riding home to their pregnant wives saying, if it's a boy, name him Lucas. If it's a girl, take her outside the city gates and leave her. And he had the right to do that. When Jesus says that this is the kingdom of God, he is blowing their mind. The ultimate symbol of, of helplessness. And he said, you want to welcome the Messiah? Look at that language. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. This is what the kingdom of God is about. This is who God is about. Powerlessness, humility, servanthood. The Greek words for child and servant have the same root word. They come from the same thing. And in this text, Jesus uses these two images, child and servant, as symbols of who the Messiah is and who we, the followers of the Messiah, are called to be. Children and servants, powerless and defenseless ones. That's us. Our modern world gives highest honor and respect to those with power and authority and importance. People in our world seek positions of strength from which they can control and manage others. The call of the gospel to us today is the same as it was to those to whom Jesus spoke personally. It may be that way in the world, but it must not be that way among you, my followers. It may not be possible for the church to be the church and also be, as the sign said, without controversy. On the other hand, just because we have controversy, it does not mean that we have to be a free-for-all through his teaching about the great reversal, this call to childlikeness, to servanthood, to powerlessness and humility, most of all through his own humiliation and death on the cross, Jesus has shown us the way forward through our disagreements and conversations. Rather than aspiring to power and influence and control within the world, within the community of the faithful. Our calling is to seek to be servants of one another, actively loving each other in the name of the one who first loved us. Amen. Amen.